In just a moment, John Dockendorf is going to come to bring the word for us this morning. Uh, John is currently retired, or like he likes to say, he's refired. Uh, he, re he, he retired from 45 years in uh, information systems, uh, and now he's working full-time for the Lord. Uh, uh, both John and his wife Nancy are ordained uh, by uh, Morningstar Ministries, and uh, John is helping out in our uh, Saturday morning men's ministry. So let's welcome John as he comes to bring us a word this morning. Morning, everyone. It's an awesome privilege to be here and to be able to communicate with you all some things that God has put on my heart. I want to thank uh, Pastor Gary, Pastor Tony, and the other elders and leadership of, of Church on the Rock for trusting me with this opportunity to speak to you. This is this is a. Uh, Got a little feedback there. This is a word that, um, that I want to share because of the depth of impact that it's had upon me as a person. You know, we're all called to hear from God. We hear tidbits many times, images, phrases, ideas. We hear through others, we hear directly through Holy Spirit inspiration. But there's really a situation where sometimes we need to do something different in our response, a, little, a new level of response to things. And so I'm going to be talking to you about that today. But before I do that, I'd like to introduce Nancy to you all. Nancy's a wonderful woman of God. We first met almost 51 years ago a senior in high school, and I was privileged that she agreed to get married, and we've been, we just passed last month our 48th anniversary. So I consider that an awesome privilege to be able to walk in that, and to be able to say that I love her now more than I did when I first started dating her. So uh, she's the other half of this duo. You know, um, when I go off to Men of Honor and bring a teaching, one of her first words out of her mouth is, John, I'll be praying for you while you're there. You know, the, the, uh, the, the level of intercession that God has birthed within her is vital and key for my even being up here today. And so I don't want you to discount that. I want you to recognize that it's a very important team that God has put us together for, for that. And uh, I'd also like to thank the gentleman who um, this morning just happened to be wearing his shirt inside out. Now, I'm not going to reveal his name or who he is or look at him. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep looking at the floor. But, but this gentleman, you know, God's called us all to protect each other's backside. Right? And so if you see your brother or sister, in need of something that they may not notice. And that, go talk to them gently. Encourage them. Strengthen them. In this case, it was just simple. He just had his shirt inside out. But, but many times people expose the insides of who they are, and sometimes it's raw, and sometimes it's challenging. So, so be, be considerate of that. Good. First slide's up. Have to look back there to verify it. I put my email address here in case anybody wants to talk further about this topic. And that. You know, I used to give a lot of corporate presentations, and I, and I quite frankly enjoyed it. Some people don't like to get up in front of people and talk, but I actually enjoyed it. And the corporate presentation I enjoyed most was giving a futures presentation, which obviously fits right in with my prophetic bent. And, and there would always be this first slide called a non-disclosure. 
this non-disclosure would say, and I'm just paraphrasing because it had all the right legalese to it, but basically it would say, you know, we're telling you about products we haven't built yet. We're telling you what we're thinking about building. We may never productize it, hardware, software, networking, whatever, but there's a good chance we will because we're talking to you about it. <laughs> so uh, keep that in mind when you make your plans for your IT infrastructure. Well, I didn't think that was appropriate today. Go to the next slide. I felt what was appropriate today was to talk about a full disclosure. And what better way to do that than to uh, Well, guess what? It's not here. I can't show it to you. I prepared a slice of watermelon for you to see. So, so, so somebody, somebody got my watermelon slice. I, I don't see where it is in this bucket here. Now, um, I've only got one slice, but this is what I'm calling my watermelon picnic disclosure, in keeping with the summer theme that we're in. And that, what, is, what does that amount to? Well, we're going to have fun with this, I hope. This isn't all just serious stuff. But first of all, full sharing is okay. Anything you hear today, you're welcome to share, as if God gave it to you directly. You're supposed to enjoy it. Eat the fruit. Right? It's good for you. I had a piece last night. I know it's a good watermelon. The second thing is we're at a picnic. So just spit out the seeds. Nobody cares if you spit the seeds out on the ground if you're at a picnic in the park, particularly if it's not on your back deck or, you know, in the pool or something like that. But let's assume we're at Wickham Park. Just spit them out. But then, look at the things that are fruit for today, but also look at things where God wants you to plant those seeds for tomorrow. You're saying, hey, I can't, I can't quite embrace that today, but I know it's God and I know it's good. I'm going to plant that so that I can get a hundred thousand fold harvest on that for my future. So there's a lot of material here, and I don't want you to be overwhelmed by it. And I say that because I was challenged to not be overwhelmed by it. So, uh, okay, everyone, you got your assignment. Enjoy the picnic. <laughs> so next, about two years ago, uh, in fact, uh, September 4th, 2019, and I'm saying some things in the backstory about this before I, before I share this with you fully so that you would be encouraged. God speaks to each of us with slight nuanced differences, but I, this isn't my first word, okay? Um, I, could, I could give you, I could spend a half an hour just talking about times where the Lord visited me in my family, family room in my easy chair there, just me and him and the immersion and the Holy Spirit and the the pouring of the prophetic through me. And I, you know, I could, I could share with you extensively about that. That was almost 30 years ago. Okay. But this, this word challenged me to my very core. And, and how, how did this word come about? Um, Rob Robinson, uh, who, who was the leader of the KBA ordained ministry at Morningstar, was scheduling a retreat up in Moravian Falls, North Carolina. And Nancy and I were, were going to it. Um, the, the retreat was uh, in a few weeks after this. And so Rob texts me and says, Johnny says, I know you hear from God. Would you press in and see what God might have to say for this retreat? Does he have a special word for this retreat? So I texted him back and I said, sure, I'll, I'll let you know. 
That was in my, my favorite time, quiet time, was early in the morning. And so all of a sudden, all I heard was a simple phrase, new foundations now. But, you know, that's my, that's my little flag, you know, type of thing, that when God shows me an image or a, a phrase or something like that, usually it's because he's getting ready to download something. And so whether you have pencil and paper or you have notes on your phone or whatever tool you have, be ready for God because he's testing your faith, whether you will, by faith, start to write down what he has for you. So I started to write down what he had for me, and I wrote down this word. This word is, this is a time to lay new foundations of cement and stone, building upon them. Break up and pulverize old foundations so they may be useful for building new foundations. Allow the stubble and chaff of life to be burnt up and consumed, for this is a season to focus and do greater things for my kingdom. Closed doors are being opened. No's are becoming yeses. Lack is now turning into abundance. For I am on the move, move with me. Answers to prayer are being realized. Revival has come to your life, to your family, to your business, to your fellowship, to your community. Rejoice and enter into my love and joy, for this is a season of redemption and celebration. And, and, and then I, as I put it, I was literally taking dictation, right? But it was dependent on my faith to believe that God wanted to speak to me, that I had to start writing. Now, I go through lots of checks and balances. You know, there's this whole, there's this whole thing of, you know, and, and we'll go through that in an upcoming slide, but the words you see here are the words as the Lord gave them to me, okay? Now, I go and I spell check it afterwards. I, I go back and I say, does it align with Scripture? Is there anything here that would be extra-biblical in a way that would be unacceptable because it would violate scripture. Did I leave out commas or periods or punctuation, right? Did it flow? You know, all those types of things that any editor would do and apply to any, anything. I couldn't find one single jot or tittle to change on this word. So the second thing I did, next slide, was God inspired me to immediately go to John 14, 12. Now, I have to confess, that's one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. And because it's one of the most challenging. You know, when, when, when Jesus, and by the way, you, you, you know, I red-lettered it so you would understand, these are Jesus' words. They aren't just the apostles' words, they aren't just, somebody else's thought, you know, these, these are, as, as best we have documented, these are Jesus' words. And, and he said, and I'm, I'm using the NLT because it's my, I've been in the NLT lately. I've been through other versions, you know, uh, New King James Version, uh, Revised Version, you know, Living, um, all sorts of things. But, but right now, NLT is, is, quote, quote, where I'm at. So when, when you see in verse 12, it says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Are you challenged by that? I mean, I am. To my very core, I'm challenged by it. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. He cast out demons, you know, all who came to him that he prayed for were healed. That's 100% results. You know, I, I'm not operating with 100% results. You know? So, so he has set the bar here. We are somewhere here. 
we have room to grow. Then he goes on to say this absurd thing also. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. This is about glorifying God the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Do you believe that? What are you willing to pray into that? We'll talk about that more. There, there's a message, by the way, in John 14, 12. Maybe at some point I'll have a chance to bring it to you. But I believe there is end dimensions to greater things that he wants to do. And if you think it's challenging just to read those words, imagine when you start expanding it and looking at the greater ways that he were called to do greater works. You know, it'll... it'll It'll challenge you like it challenges me. John 14, 23 and 24 is also a great verse. He says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Wow. Obeying God and loving God are, are equated in a, in a way here which is very clear. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. You know, that's a relationship between Jesus and the Father that was intimate to the point where he was looking to his Father for complete guidance and confirmation on the direction that he was taking in all things. 14.29 says, I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. Well, he's dealing with our doubts, right? Because he wants us to move us from doubt to belief. John 16.24, you haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. So there's progression. You gotta ask, if you're not asking, you don't get. You gotta receive, gotta be in a receiving posture, shall we say, uh, spiritually, and then you get into this area of abundant joy. We're called to walk and operate in this place of abundant joy. And so I, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of that will come out. By the way, what you saw on the previous slide of the Word and these um, uh, four Bible references and the spell checking and the spirit checking and all the things that I went through all happened in 60 minutes. And I sent this off to Rob by email. Now... I didn't plan for it to be that way. I figured, well, maybe God will speak to me sometime, you know, in the next day or so. But it turns out it was, it was, a, it was a pregnant moment to receive the fullness of what God had. So next slide is, here, here's some of the things that I do. And, and by the way, we have an excellent um, booklet that you probably have heard about or seen, which is out in the foyer about prophetic ministry and guidelines. And I'd recommend that you all be sure to read a copy of it because there's actually nothing in there that I don't talk about here as far as guidelines. But for me, there's a few nuances that I expand several of them. But the first thing is, does it align with Scripture? If it violates basic tenets of, of Scripture... And, and so, what's your challenge? Well, I would throw out, have you read your Bible cover to cover? No, I'm serious. Cover to cover. If you haven't read it cover to cover, how can you know for sure if it's in Scripture or not? And I don't mean the kind of people who says, I was saved and in, you know, 22 hours I read the Bible cover to cover. Well... I don't know how they did that. It must have been Holy Spirit enabled because 
The first time I read my Bible cover to cover, it took me 16 months. Because I only read as much as God wanted me to digest for that particular day. I read it with understanding, with spiritual insight. But I would encourage you, first of all, read your scripture so you can know if God gives you a word, whether it aligns with scripture. Second thing, Holy Spirit witness. We have access to the Holy Spirit. And by the way, when we have an altar call at the end, if there's anybody who doesn't have the fullness of the Spirit, among other things, we'll have an opportunity for you to be prayed for. Because it's mandatory. It's essential. It's not optional. If you say, I know the Father and I know Jesus, but you don't know the Holy Spirit, and you don't have the Holy Spirit residing within you, how do you have that checks and balance of witness that you need? Because Jesus said, when I go to the Father, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Is this in agreement with God's plan? You know, that's kind of a nuanced thing. But you know, God has a plan. Now, there's individual plans for each of us as individuals. There's family plans. There's business plans. There's community plans. There's fellowship plans. I mean, there's plans with all different scopes. But ultimately, does it fit within God's plan, within the scope of what the Word has to say? The next one is a challenge. Are you willing to pray into it? Or do you want to just set it on the shelf? In other words, if God gives you a word, either directly or inspired by Holy Spirit, or through someone else, are you willing to take the time and say, Lord, I value this word. I want to pray into it so I will have full understanding and application of this word. Versus I'm just going to set it on the shelf and say, the other alternatives say, well, Lord, if it happens, whenever it happens, however it happens, if it's your will. No. God wants you to have spiritual skin in the game. Okay? He wants you to be praying into that. He wants you to go after it. He wants you to claim it by faith. I got this word, but each one of you now can say, that word belongs to me if you so choose. I'm sharing it with you so you can take ownership of it as God leads. You can receive the same benefit from that word that I'm receiving. And more. The second is believe and receive truth. We all think that we're right in our own eyes. That's one of our biggest challenges, right? In fact, there's a famous person in my life who said, in the midst of a heated debate about some things, she, she said, and to cap it off, whatever the topic was, and I'm so right I'm wrong. <laughs> That's not what she meant to say. <laughs> she meant to say, I'm so right I'm right. But isn't that the typical approach that a lot of people have? What I think is right, what you think is wrong. And some of them apply that to God. So we have to get to truth, not, not just to opinion, not just to facts, not just our wishes, not just our desires. We have to get to the grounded in the truth that God has for us. Very, very key. So as I began to look at this word, I said, you know, this, this word is a holistic word. However, there's six key interconnected elements that I broke down in this word. You may see other things. You have my email address to share your ideas. But the first thing is this new foundations now. By the way, the word had a word in it called pulverized. Anybody spoke the word pulverized recently? 
not me. You know, it, 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 I mean, I know what it means, basically. It means to reduce the powder. But, you know, I'm thinking, what is God really trying to say in this? I got to really dig into this. But this establishing of new foundations from the remains of old. Have you ever traveled in third world countries where, I mean, down the Caribbean where I've done a lot of scuba diving and underwater photography, you'll many times pass through these little villages or towns, and there'll be one story of a house that people are living in. There's a flat roof on it, but there's rebar sticking up all around the periphery so that they can build a second story on the house and double the size of their dwelling when they can afford it, right? And over in the yard somewhere, there'll be this pile of rubble. So this rubble came out of some old foundation, but in those areas, it's valuable enough that they're storing it and keeping it until they have to build the second story. You know, here in the United States, you know, we take that rubble, throw it in a, you know, garbage can and throw it in the dump, right? I mean, because, you know, rubble's not that valuable here in, in our country. But in other places in the world, that resource is valuable enough that they're willing to save it for that next phase of construction. Now, when you think about building a new foundation, the first thing that comes to mind is relationships are foundational. In fact, they're one of the most important foundations we have in our lives, right? Our relationship with God, our relationship with family, friends, associates. But God may be doing some things in your life that is wanting to establish new solid foundations in your relationships. That doesn't mean you're supposed to torch old relationships or, or destroy them necessarily, but it means that you may have made choices in your life you may have friendships, you may have associations that are not healthy for you and are influencing you, but you're not influencing them. And as a spirit-filled believer, we're called to influence others for Christ and not be the subject of being influenced for the world. So, yes, there are some relationships you may need to give up, and there's also some other relationships you need to establish. I really like our men of honor group we have here in this fellowship because here's a group of men, like-hearted, like-minded, who value their relationship with other men as they seek to go forward. And I would like to invite the rest of you men to come and join us. We had about 20 who showed up yesterday. And the message that I brought to them was, God is... He's about establishing, um, let me pull it up here so I don't say it wrong, about us being more than conquerors. Now, there's aspects of being more than a conqueror I didn't realize until I started researching it. What is more than a conqueror? A more than a conqueror is someone or someones who overtake the enemy and turn enemies into friends. Wow. Are we being more than conquerors in our life? Or are the situations in our life overwhelming us? Now, this type of things, uh, you know, they, they um, relate to physical structures, to a lot of other things. But, you know, I've um, probably talked about new foundations now a little more than I need to. But keep in mind that this is a key element of this word, which is why it's in the title. The next thing is the greater things. I've already elaborated on that with John 14, 12. But really, are you overwhelmed by that? And if so, think in terms of doing the next 
greater thing that God has for you. Okay, I, I've never seen a leper, so, so that's not a focus of my greater things right now. Maybe doing a greater thing for you would be joining the prayer team and praying for others if you haven't been a part of it. Maybe the next thing, greater thing for you would be to uh, join Lori and go out on a treasure hunt in downtown Melbourne. You say, well, that's outside my comfort zone. Well, Lori's been there, done that. She can help you hold your hand all the way through the process so that it will not be overwhelming for you. Maybe the next greater thing is, is going to the prison ministry with uh, Joseph. Maybe it's just praying for it. Maybe you just have to go say hi to Joseph and say, Joseph, prison ministry has been on my heart. The Lord's given me a burden for it. I want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you in that. You know, none of this stuff is impossible, but it's greater than something you may currently be doing. Turn around. You know, the problem is, is that let's say you're going in this direction, but that's not the direction God wants you to go in. He wants to turn you around and maybe point you and get you going in this other direction. What is this turnaround that he wants? Sure, there may be re repentance. There may even be restitution. Now, we know what repentance is, right? It's acknowledging where we are, and it's not where God wants us to be, and we're asking forgiveness, and we're saying, God, I give you permission to lead and guide me and change me so that I'm conformed to what you want to be. But restitution is at a whole nother level. Restitution is where we own the consequences of what has happened and we seek out to make it right in whatever fashion God would have us do. Let's say you borrowed $1,000 from Tim over here. And... And Tim was a generous kind of guy, and he said, sure, he, he actually had 10 $100 bills in his wallet because he just went to the bank that day. Now, they weren't for you, but he heard your story, and he says, I, I want to sow this into your need, and you say, I can pay you back in 30 days because I just need a short term to get me through to my next paycheck. So he says, sure. 30 days come and you don't pay it back. Now you have a, uh, your word is at risk because you've spoken a word that you said you, you were going to do. You're avoiding talking to Tim because, by golly, you know, I don't have anything good to say to him right now, and he's, he might even beat me up. <laughs> you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's got some muscles there. <laughs> but, but, you know, you're, you're embarrassed. You're humiliated. You're dealing with all these different emotions. But finally, the Lord convicts you. So you ask God for forgiveness. Then you have to go to Tim and ask for forgiveness and say, Tim, I'm late. I'd like to give you restitution. Not only will I pay you back the $1,000 I owe you, but I'm going to give you another $100 because I didn't honor my word. And I want my word to be so valuable that I'm going to make sure that I go above and beyond here, would you please receive that from me? I think restitution is something we should be talking more about in the body of Christ. Who knows, maybe I'll have a chance to talk on that. This whole idea of moving, God is moving. God is about movement. You know, there's times where you get to camp out for a while, but he's about moving, and he's about action, and he's about accomplishing things. And so what does being on the move with God look like? Well, you know, a lot of us think in terms of missions, of going to a foreign country as, as being part of on the move with God. 
And by the way, we support them. There's a lot of good work being done. Um, Bob and Karen just got back from Panama with, with a short-term mission outreach, and we bless them in that. But the reality is, is two miles down the road, we have a university, Florida Tech, just happens to be my alma mater. I have two master's degrees from there. But at that university, we have 70 nations represented in the student body two miles away. Now, that challenges me. Now, I won't go into all that's being done to try and make inroads to, to have an impact at that university, but, I, but I'm working on it. So pray that God would open the door into the Protestant campus ministry that we, that's you and me, would be able to do some things right down the street from us that would impact nations without having to buy $1,000 plane tickets and you know $2,000 travel budgets. This is a missions training field, is what it is, right? Right here. Personally, I mean, I've said this to myself, you know, I've got no business going to Australia or, you know, wherever else, Indonesia, if, if I'm not willing to go two miles down the road to be actively engaged in missions in my own community. I'm just saying. Awakening revival. Is awakening revival on your heart? Because that's mentioned in this word. I know it's on mine. Nancy and I were a part of Melbourne Renewal, which happened in 1995 through 98. So for three and a half years, we had this awesome move of God across our community, for any of those who may have been a part of that. We're not looking to recreate Melbourne Renewal, but we're well aware that God wants to have something that takes it to another level. And I'm calling it awakening revival. It's not just an awakening, it's not just revival, but a monumental shift in spiritual atmosphere and encounter that continues. doesn't just happen for a short, brief period of time. And it affects everything. It affects us personally, culturally, organizationally, our community, unto the nations. So, so this, is, this is an awesome opportunity. Do you know with Melbourne Renewal, we had six pastors who led it across the community, including uh, at that time Jim Mayer, who was pastor uh, here, was one of those six. They were across denominational boundaries. We had Charismatic, we had Baptist, we had a Methodist, we had an uh, um, um, Anglican. We had, you know, we had just, just a broad brush across the community. But you know we had over 29 churches represented on the prayer teams? It was the body of Christ ministering to others that they did most of the ministry, not the, not the speaker on any given uh, renewal meeting. So I would challenge you, does God want you to be on a prayer team? Does he want you to prepare right now for this awakening revival so when it happens, you are totally prepared. Rejoice and enter in. You know, we don't do enough celebrating. I mean, you know, we know how to picnic, right? But do we really know how to celebrate? Celebrate by entering into the fullness of the joy of the Lord and delight in God in a new way. You know, we get a good image of that from David in the Psalms, right? I mean, there was times where David just threw off all abandon because he was so overcome with the presence of God in that. He wasn't just doing that out of performance. He wasn't just doing that to, to show off. In fact, he was probably showing off a little too much. <laughs> but it, that wasn't his motivation. He was doing that because... He had experienced God in a new way. And he couldn't do anything else but. 
So I would encourage you, those six interconnected elements are in this word, and that's why it's so significant to me. Now we get to pulverization. You know, today when they do deconstruction on buildings or silos or whatnot else, they put all this explosive around there, hook it up with debt cord for detonation, time all these things, and then they, they fire it off. And then you see these structures, some of them skyscrapers, some of them, you know, hundreds if not a thousand feet in the air, all of a sudden come crashing down. There's this huge cloud of dust and there's a pile of rubble. And then, of course, they have to load it up. But it's a whole lot cheaper, easier, and safer than having to go tear it down floor by floor, brick by brick, cut by cut. So what, is, what does pulverization look like? Well, you know, I had to go do a little research to really understand what pulverization was because I used a word in this word that I just wasn't part of my normal vocabulary. So about a year ago, I was uh, um, getting ready to hang some shutters on our house. You know, this is a piece cut off the end of a shutter. It's a corrugated piece of aluminum. They come in different materials. But these shutters help protect your windows in the case of a hurricane here in Florida. Well, so, so what, do you, what do you have to do with, with that? Well, one of the first things you need to do is you need to have a tool that can drill a hole. In my case, I have concrete walls. So you need something that's stronger than hardened steel. And the typical thing people use is a carbide tip drill. So here's a carbide tip drill. Why? Because you want to you end up installing this special hardened screw. Now it has screw-like threads, almost like a wood screw, except it's hardened and it can actually screw into concrete. Now our house is about 32 years old and uh, concrete gets harder as it ages. So this is some pretty hard stuff. When I started out, I was using a regular drill mode. A regular drill mode, you know, just, you know, just, just like a regular drill, you just kind of, it doesn't make much progress. It just made a little tiny dent in the surface. But, I didn't have or know about at that time, a year ago, that there's something called a hammer drill. So, unfortunately, Robert Vitava isn't able to be here. And um, Robert said to me, he says, John, I'll be glad to loan you my tools. Now, you know that's a godly man when he'll loan you your tools. <laughs> and so I said, well, what's, what's this hammer drill do and what's it about? And he says, well, the, it impacts hundreds if not thousands of times a second. I just clicked into hammer drill mode. Does that sound a little different? A little different results. There's this pile of red powder around there. But what did I find out in this hammer drilling? Well, first of all, I found out that without hammer drilling, it was taking a long time and it was dulling the carbide bits. Now I do have a diamond drill sharpener, which is diamonds harder than carbide, so I was able to sharpen it, but I was only getting four or five holes drilled without having the hammer mode. With the hammer mode, I could drill 20 holes in less time than the five holes with one sharpening. Now mind you, I had almost 150 holes to drill. So this is not a small task to do. But here's the other thing, you have to have the right tools. 
This is an air blowgun. So with my portable air tank hooked to this, I was able to insert this tool into the hole and blow out the dust. Why? Well, in this case, if you don't, when you go and try and drive this screw into the wall, it'll hang up on the dust. So not only do you need to drill the hole accurate size for the particular screw, you also need to get rid of the dust. And by the way, don't blow it in your face. It's not a pretty sight when you do that. <laughs> well, what are the alternatives? Well, in the olden days, they'd get a hardened chisel and a big old hammer, and they would be chipping away at things. Of course, that doesn't work for solving my problem with the, uh, the shutters. But can you imagine, you know, breaking up stones with hammers and chisels and things like that, and the level of effort that's required to do that that we use with modern tools. Modern tools, they put on the end of a, uh, on the end of a uh, construction machinery, they have these big old jackhammers that on, on the end of that, and so they can point it at it and go boop, 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 and, and literally destroy it. So dust is pulverization. That dust is not recognizable and quite frankly isn't useful for a lot of stuff unless you're making concrete. So I went and researched. I'm no expert on concrete because, you know, I didn't wear a hard hat for a living. But there's, there's four key ingredients to concrete. And every single one of them is important. You've got aggregate, which is basically pebble-sized rocks of a particular size, shape, and consistency. You don't want them too big, you don't want them too small. You've got sand. Ah, but it's got to be a particular kind of sand to accomplish that. You don't want beach sand because beach sand has been tumbled and rolled and it's got rounded edges and it doesn't, doesn't make good concrete. You want sharp-edged sand. You've got cement. Now, you know, cement kind of looks like that powder. But do you know how they get it that way? They put the ingredients and they're making cement under heat and then they run it through what's called a ball mill. Think of it as a big cylinder on its side at a slight angle with steel balls in it. Hundreds of steel balls. And it's sitting there pulverizing that cement until it comes out a fine powder. So what's the fourth ingredient you need for the uh, cement or concrete? I need a little bit right now, too. <laughs> In the proper ratios to produce the proper consistency of concrete that will set up in a proper way and give you the strength that you want. So there's a lot of science to that. When you think of a foundation and a slab, how we typically build homes here in Florida, predominantly, you know, all those things have to go into that. And then there's a possible fifth ingredient that goes into building a foundation. Rebar. Steel. Why? Well, concrete has a certain type of strength. Steel rod has another kind of strength. I have a brother who lives out near Fort Worth, and when they build foundations for homes out in that area, the, the ground tends to heave and move a lot and everything else. They actually put in pretension steel cables into the, into the foundation because if they didn't, the foundations would crack and crumble and never survive, even with rebar. Now, we know we were made from dust. Our body's going back to dust. 
that we're going to heaven. Right? So why is pulverization important in our lives? Well, the first thing is, is these old foundations are being pulverized, so we quit living in the past. And you're going to have to ask yourself what that means to you. You know, there's folks that say, I remember when aunt so-and-so did this and that, and, and, and it's nice to have some memories. But if you're living in that past, and you're not living in the present of what God is wanting to do, you, you may need some healing for those. Um, we've been, Nancy and I have been through all of the typical life experiences. We've had our, you know, our parents' generation pass away, so we've had death in the family. We've had um, health issues. Fortunately, you know, we've, we're in good shape now, but we've, we've been through some major health issues. We didn't know what was going to be the outcome. We've been through job changes. Some of them, I left the company. Some of them, they left me. You know, we've been through good times financially and not so good times. I mean, you know, if you look at all the children, it was enough said right there, right? You know, we've, we've had two children, and, and they're wonderful, and we love them a lot. But you know what the challenges are with raising children and, and um, you know, that. So we've been through all those life issues. But we also recognize that we can't live in the past. Our daughter Jennifer was cute when she was two or three years old, but she's not two or three years old anymore. She's a woman, recently married. And, uh, you know, she's... Uh, She's a godly woman, and we're glad for that. Our son works at L3 Harris on the F35, um, you know, uh, secure fiber optic network upgrade. He's, he's the brainiac, and, um, you know, he does things, deep embedded systems where you're involved with uh, bit twiddling and, you know, all that kind of stuff with, at the binary level. So not only does he know how to do systems and software, uh, but he's working with uh, embedded systems in a way that even I didn't go there. But why do we need to pulverize? Well, we need to release people, including us, and things through forgiveness. So, so look, at, look at that in your life and, and examine what God wants you to do there. We need to um, uh, release past hurts, abuses, past failures, and successes. Why do I put successes there? Well, our past successes or accomplishments can become trophies that lock us into the past. Now, I happen to have two plaques on my home office wall, among other things, on the wall, including a beautiful turtle shell that I was given from somebody, long before it was illegal. <laughs> but the, the um, you know, one of them's a master's um, in business, MBA, and the other is a master's in system engineering, both from Florida Tech. They're on my wall, but I'm not living in the past. You know, I could, but I'm not. So that's a past success of completing an advanced degree. I think this breaking of generational curses, and, and I just referenced Exodus there in 20, but keep in mind that there are things that, that you want to do to, to dig into these things. Um, restoration of generational blessings. Um, there's, a, there's a whole, we could talk about any of these on the whole topic, but, but I think the focus is, um, is on God to do greater works. So keep, keep that in mind. Now I put this in there because these were key points in that word, and this is to try and say, God, where am I with regards to these things? You know, on the left, you have what I call facts or feelings. You know, facts aren't necessarily truth, right? But we have to deal with God's truth. You know, the fact is I have a pain in my side. That's a fact. But what's the truth of what's going on in my body that, that's causing me to have a pain in the side? You know, that's... That, that's that's uh, something, something else. 
But let me just focus on one, no's to yeses. Have you ever said no to God? You know, some people have. I mean, Chris Smolotan admitted he said no to God. In the, uh, uh, a week ago, teaching on poverty, riches, and wealth. But what format does, does a no take? The word talks about the person who responds quickly to what God does, and they say, yeah, Lord, I'll do that. And then they never follow through. That's a form of a no. Or somebody says, yeah, I'll get around to it after I take care of this project. You're next on my list, God. If God wants you to do it now, that's a no. So we may be over here moving in this direction of no, and God wants to turn us around and move us in the direction of yes. I can't answer what's yes for you and what no's you're dealing with in your life. But only you can, and you have to seek that out. So next is, if awakening revival came to your life, to your family, to your business, to your fellowship, to your community, whatever those elements are applicable to you, what would that look like? This is, this is kind of your homework assignment, to take this and look at this as well as the previous slide, take this and look at this, because in the previous slide, it's like, where am I on this continuum and with regards to key issues? But here is, what does awakening revival look like? Have I really embraced it? Have I sought to walk in it successfully? And I put the, the last thing is, have I been praying for the expression of God's grace and his love for the destiny of myself and others to be realized with multi-generation impacts. You know, this multi-generational thing has been a hot button with God for me lately, that he wants us to look at how we are called to span the generations. Doesn't matter what age you are. How, how is he asking you to be involved in a multi-generation way? In fact, there's a whole area of this multi-generation that I think could be expanded upon. So as I was trying to wrap my arms around this word, one of the big challenges that I faced was, how do I even pray into this? What does that look like? So I just wrote a prayer. Lord, I believe I choose to believe, help my unbelief. You've read that in the scripture before, right? That, that was a valid thing. Lord, I surrender all to your will. Help me surrender. Lord, I choose to look forward, not looking back on the past, no matter how good or bad past memories are. Lord, I choose to fully embrace your now word. What's God saying to you today? Holy Spirit, lead, guide, and direct me and us, the larger us, whatever that includes, in this process. Thank you that you love me and us enough to share this unfolding now work for your glory. It's all about him being glorified. It's not about us it's about him. Teach us, teach me and us, how to enter into your joy, celebrate and delight in you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So I put this on my mirror in the bathroom. Can't say I read it every day, but I put it there as a reminder. You may... I've got a hard copy next to my computer. Not just on the computer, but next to the computer. There may be ways that you are, in fact, able to, to affirm before God. And, and 
You're, wel you're welcome to use this prayer as your starting point. Now, really, this is dust to destiny. You know, we, um, we want to get to the destiny God has for us. 1 John 5, 12, uh, next, in the NLT says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Unto salvation. And John 3, 6 says, Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Can't emphasize enough this call for the Holy Spirit. Job confessed about, he will do to me whatever he has planned. He controls my destiny. That's quite a statement. We know how Job was afflicted and the level of pain he went through and lost. But God restored him many fold. And then Psalm you know, with David, David wrote these, 73, 24, you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny, but it's mine to discover. 